that was another five grand that I was not anticipating. So it's definitely to have a contingency fund always over budget because there's always going to be things that you will not know ahead of time. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're gonna help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're gonna help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're gonna be allowed to focus on the things that are most important like business growth and operations not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E, you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Tiffany, Alexi, how you doing, Tiffany? I'm doing great. Thanks. How are you? Well, I'm glad to hear that. And I am doing great as well. A little bit about Tiffany. She began investing in real estate at 21 years old with a four-bedroom condo that she lived in and rented the other three rooms, today owns 10 units of commercial and residential properties, started her brokerage, Alexi Realty Group, in 2017, based in Raleigh, North Carolina. With that being said, Tiffany, you want to give the best of our listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. So as you mentioned, I started investing in real estate in 2011. I purchased my first property as a senior in college, and I ended up house hacking it. And that's kind of what got me jump-started into my real estate investing career. I lived there for a couple of years, and then I moved out, rented that one out completely, and just kind of repeated the process and have been doing so ever since about 2011. What do you mean by repeated the process? 
So after I rented that full unit out, I bought another one just across the street. It was a three bedroom, two and a half bath. And I lived in one bedroom and I rented out the other two. So I just continued house hacking. And I actually hmm. still house hack today. Hmm. So the first one was a four bedroom condo. The one across the street was a three bedroom? Correct. And you bought the first one, and then you got a loan and bought the second one, correct? Correct. And then what did you do after that? Just kept doing it again and again. <laughs> so now I'm in a three-bedroom townhome where I have my own room, and then I rent the other two bedrooms out. Wow. How many properties have you purchased to do it? I'm on my fourth. You're on your fourth. Okay, cool. So yes. you got your first two that we talked about, and then you did it again, which was a what? It what was, was a townhouse. The third one was a townhouse. How many rooms? Yes. It was a three bedroom and I rented one out. And the roommate that I had at the time had access to the third room. So we used it kind of as a home office. Okay. And then you're so, on your um, fourth. I had one roommate in that one. Exactly. You're on your fourth. And how many bedrooms is your fourth one? It's a three bedroom as well. Three so bedroom. same situation. I live in one and I rent out the other two. Okay. And over how many years have you done this? I started in 2011. Oh, um, so all right. I can been do that math. Almost ten years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, and it, and there are some situations in between where I didn't house hack, but for the majority of the time, I have been house hacking. Okay. So talk to us about the loans that you're getting on each of these four properties. They're conventional owner occupied financing. So the first one, I had to put twenty five percent down because it was one of those condo situations where there were a lot of investors who owned the units. Mm -hmm. So it didn't qualify for Fannie Freddie financing. The Wells Fargo, Bank of America, the larger banks wouldn't finance them. So I went through BB&T on the first one and I had to put more down because of the investor concentration, essentially. What about the next one? The next one was the same situation. So it was another high investor concentration. So I put another 25% down on that. Okay. And when you say high investor concentration... Will you elaborate on what you mean? Sure. It just means the majority of the condo units owned in the neighborhood are investor owned. Mm. So it's not owner occupied. Okay. Even though you're getting an owner occupied loan. Correct. I believe the rule is if it's over 50% investors in the actual subdivision, uh -huh. then they require some additional steps. Oh, okay. I hadn't heard of that. The, yeah. It's the... called non-warrantable. Non-warrantable. Okay. Correct. Cool. So there would be an advantage to not have non-warrantable in the loan because then you'd be able to have less money into the property, right? Yes. And that's exactly what happened with the second two, the townhomes. So mm. the rules don't apply with the townhomes. So my third, I was able to put 10% down instead of the 25. Okay. And then the one that I have now, I put 3% down. Wow. You're getting better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's How low can exactly. you go? <laughs> exactly. What is the reason why you're able to do three on this fourth one? I don't know. It was just a loan program. So conventional was going down as low as 3%. Okay. Same lender on the three and the 10%, the last two? No, different lenders. Uh, who'd you get on the third one and who'd you use on the fourth? The third one was First Citizens. And the fourth was Benchmark. How do you find your lenders? Honestly, they find me. <laughs> it's just word of mouth, networking, pretty much just organically. 
Okay. So thinking back with Benchmark, for example, what is the first time you came in contact with the point person that you ended up going with at Benchmark? With Benchmark, I actually found out about them through a client. I was helping a client purchase an investment property and his lender was put in contact with me because I was his agent. Mm -hmm. And I really liked the lender because he was very communicative, always responsive, super on top of it. And my client got a great rate. So I was like, okay, well, I'll keep you in mind for the next one. And it just kind of worked out that way. Okay. You've been doing it for approximately nine years. What are some things that have gone wrong? Oh, (laughs) a lot has gone wrong. (laughs) Um, So I will tell you about a situation where I got in a little bit over my head as far as the flip. I purchased a 2,600 square foot duplex in Aiden, North Carolina, which is about 15 minutes south of Greenville where East Carolina University is. And you see HGTV and you think it's going to be easy. (laughs) It's not the case. I bought it from a wholesaler who had the contract on the property and was selling the contract. And for that reason, I got it super, super cheap. It was like $28,000 for this duplex. And it needed a lot of work. So I actually had FaceTimed my contractor through it and he gave me an estimate of about $100,000 in work. Okay. But at that point, I was like, okay, that's still not too bad because I'm in for 128 and it could rent for about 700 per side. So the numbers on that weren't too bad. The only thing is the flip took a year. There were a lot of delays just because it's two and a half hours away from me. So I didn't have a lot of time to drive past the property and you know, check on my contractor and mm-hmm. make sure that he was running according to schedule. Everything was just delayed. So windows took seven months to come in and then one came in and it was broken. So then we had to send it back and get a (laughs) replacement. It was just a disaster. So after about a year, I got a call from the town of Aiden Fire Department that it Uh had actually caught on fire. Oh, yeah. After a year prior to you renting it out after you completed the flip almost? Exactly. So the flip was a little more than halfway done. And it just completely torched one side. It didn't burn down, but the entire interior of the better side was gone. It's just up in flames. So that was kind of a learning experience. And at that point, I was like, I don't want to put another hundred grand into this project. It's never ending. We couldn't even have utilities to the property because it has to pass inspection in order to turn on the utilities. So it wasn't an electrical fire. What I found out later was that somebody had broken in and had a party. They lit candles and just left. They broke in through that broken window. Dang, they got in through the window that took seven months to arrive that was broken that you're waiting on a replacement? Correct. Yeah, so that one was boarded up and they just took it off. Yep. Okay. (laughs) Insurance? So everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Yes, I had insurance, thank goodness. So I was able to get that money and I was done. So I basically broke even, which Mm -hmm. is a lot better than what could have happened. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What was the insurance process like? It had to be a vacant policy because there was nobody living at the property. And it was one that I had to renew it every couple of months because it was a vacant policy. And it was more expensive because of the risk associated, which Mm -hmm. obviously for good reason. Yep. Thank goodness you had that policy. Yes, I'm very, very glad I did that. What was the check amount that they cut you for the fire? 
It was 67000 Okay. So they cut you a check for 67000 You bought it for twenty eight. What did you end up doing with the property? I actually essentially just gave it to an investor I know that was mm-hmm. in the area. He was my property manager at the time as well. And I just wanted to wash my hands of it. So I sold it to him for $10. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> you, <yep. laughs> you had put in 28 and you got a check for 67. So you had about 42,000 in profit. However, that doesn't factor in paying the contractor and holding costs and all that. So you're saying essentially the 42K was wiped away it was about that. It wasn't anything more. Correct. It was between 40 and 45. People always ask, well, why would someone give a house away? What are the circumstances? Here's the circumstance. You gave 10 bucks. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. It was just one of those where I didn't want to continue dumping money into it. I was busy with my brokerage at the time. I just didn't have the time. And he was local 10, 15 minutes away from where he was. So it made sense for him because he could get the property for very, very little and Essentially, his money in would be all the repair costs, and then he could rent it. Okay. And how long ago was that? That was last summer. Okay. So I sold the property to him in July. Will you sold in air quotes, right? $10? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And have you kept up with him and the status of the property? No, I actually haven't. So I need to follow up with him and see what's going on, see how he's doing. (laughs) You haven't talked to him since... You got the $10 bill from him? No, he sent me a referral or two, but I haven't asked him what he's done with the property. That is a challenge, and thankfully, you had insurance. I think that's a big takeaway, having insurance on the vacant property. If presented a similar opportunity in the future, what choices would you make that are different from the choices you made on this deal? First of all, I wouldn't have bought it. (laughs) But one of my... I made a couple. Why wouldn't you well, have bought it? I bought it sight unseen. So that was my first mistake. Not necessarily that buying sight unseen is a mistake, but it was in a market that I didn't know. And I just thought, okay, well, it's 28 grand. Even if it goes south, it's so cheap. So I put it under contract sight unseen, which typically is not that big of a deal, especially in North Carolina, because you have a due diligence period, so you can still back out. But once I was under contract, I felt kind of obligated to purchase it. And not out of anything that anybody else was doing, it's just kind of my own feeling. Mm -hmm. So that was the first mistake. The second mistake, I didn't get a home inspection. It was primarily because I knew that it would need a lot of work. It was essentially going to have to go down to the studs and be completely redone. So at that point, I was like, well, I don't need a home inspection. And I know that it's going to need a ton of money and a ton of work. So might as well just save that money. But what I didn't know was the joists had been rotted out because of termites. So I essentially was about to go about 20000 over budget to replace the joists. Mm-hmm. And that's what was partially why... It took so long as well. Windows and termites. Exactly. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. Those are takeaways that are applicable to a lot of people. And I'm grateful that you mentioned that. What else has gone wrong? (laughs) With that deal or with other No, with another deal. That one was essentially my one and only flip experience. Everything else that I have has been buy and hold. 
So on the flip side, I'll give you an example of one that has worked out really well. So I currently have an office, it's in Cary, and I kind of did a double strategy on this. So we talked a little bit about house hacking. If you've heard of the Burr method, which is the buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat, I kind of combined the two on this office that I have, and it's worked out really well. So essentially, I bought it similar in a way to my owner-occupied properties. It's just an owner-occupied office because I was using it for my business. Mm-hmm. So I found it a couple of years ago. It was listed for 175 and it needed a lot of work. These buildings were built in the late 70s, so it was just really old and hadn't been touched since then. It still had a wood-burning stove in the main lobby area that was connected to the chimney. Well, that's got um, some character. Yeah, for sure. It does have character. Orange shag carpet, um, textured (laughs) wallpaper. (laughs) Exactly. So it was kind of an ugly duckling, but there's not a whole lot of inventory as far as office goes here. So I snapped it up and paid asking price. And I put in about just over 40,000 in work. Mm -hmm. And what I did was added the chair molding, the wainscoting, put in luxury vinyl plank floors, repainted everything. It has a lot of that intricate dental molding. So it's got that thick like crown molding and that was a pain to pay somebody to paint. So it took a lot of paint for that, but essentially just redid everything, including the bathroom. And I rent out a couple of the other offices. So it's got technically four office spaces. I use one. One of the other offices I rent for 500 a month. The upstairs is kind of an oversized office. I rent that for 650. And then one of the last office that is not my own, it's the largest one. So I turned it into a conference room. And I use that for my clients, but I also rent it out on a website called Liquid Space, which is similar to Airbnb, but it's for office space. And it's just like an hourly rate. So between all that, I got it rented and then I refinanced. So I was able to pull out most of my initial equity because it got reappraised for 250000 Awesome. So it worked out really well for me. And of course, there's a higher monthly payment, but because it's tenant occupied, I'm essentially breaking even on the payment. Bravo. What tenants do you have in there? It's a digital marketing company and a software company. Okay. What's the square footage of the overall space? It's just under 1,400 square feet. All right. And how did you find the digital marketing and software company? The digital marketing company, funny enough, I used to do property management and they were one of my property management clients. Mm -hmm. And the software company, I believe it was just Craigslist because I posted a couple different ads online about the office space. Okay. And the 40,000 in updates that you did, what was your role in those updates? Was it the money person or were you the one overseeing it or were you doing it? All of the above. <laughs> oh, so you did. I was the money person. Yeah, I hired a contractor, so I didn't do the work myself. But I helped with the design process, picked out everything. I put up the money. So yeah, I was pretty involved. Okay. What's something that you learned from that experience overseeing the contractor? It's definitely to have a contingency. I went in knowing that we were going to go over budget just because it always happens. But it turns out that 
there was a bay window in the back in the conference room and it was actually sagging because it didn't have a foundation and this is something that my home inspector actually didn't catch i kind of had two options i could add a foundation to it or i could just tear the bay window out and make it a regular window so what i ended up doing was just tearing it out because it was cheaper that way and just putting a normal window in but of course my contractor had to reframe and tear out the actual bay that was sticking out so that was another five grand that I was not anticipating. So it's definitely to have a contingency fund always over budget because there's always going to be things that you will not know ahead of time. How much should we over budget when we put together a plan? I usually just add 10% to the overall total. Okay. So in this case, if it was 40000 what did you initially budget? Was it forty or was it 35 I initially budgeted 50 but you said you put yeah, 40k, we still came so you in were under. you were under. Yeah. Wow. So initially, when I was thinking, it was 50. Okay. Um. So it what, worked out, but I had I always think more. What caused it to be under? There were a couple little trade-offs. So let's see. Upstairs, I initially was going to put the LVP flooring, but I decided to go with carpet instead. One for soundproof, and then also there were stairs that were a little bit narrow. So I didn't want to put the hard, slippery flooring just in case. So I ended up putting carpet upstairs. That saved some money. So I got some quotes for the exterior, and I used a different contractor for the exterior, which saved mm -hmm. me some money as well, because he actually was doing the office next door. So he was okay. able to give me a better rate. And how did you come in contact with that contractor? The person who owned the office next to mine actually just sent me an email and said, hey, I'm actually getting work done on my mm. office. This is the guy that I'm using. He's willing to help you out because he knew that I was doing work to my office as well. Okay, cool. Good timing and nice people connecting the dots. Well, taking a step back, based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? My best real estate investing advice ever would be to be creative. So situations where the office happened, Everybody that hears about what I did with it, they're kind of astounded that I did it, but it really wasn't anything groundbreaking or like magical. It was just a matter of me moving in and being creative and renting out the extra spaces that I didn't need. So it's creativity and efficiency, really. We're going to do a lightning round. So you ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right, let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. What's the best ever resource that you use in your business that you couldn't live without? Oh, gosh. So... I would say the book Ninja Selling by Larry Kendall. Great I've book. read this book many, many times. I'm actually rereading it again. It's a great resource for those who are in sales or some sort of sales-driven career, but who aren't necessarily wanting to brand themselves as that salesperson, if that makes sense. Highly recommend that book. One of the big takeaways I 
got from that book is using the example of a real estate agent. Real estate agent could do a very good job with a client and then five years later when that client goes to sell the house, they might not be the first person their client calls because they're just not top of mind. So it's important that we have to be top of mind in a relevant way on an ongoing basis with our customers in order to continue to earn their business. Absolutely. What's the best ever deal you've done? The best ever deal would be one of my rental properties on Kaplan Drive by NC State. It was one that I purchased. It was an estate sale. It wasn't like a great deal, but I knew that if I rented the rooms out individually, I could make more money. So I purchased it for $145,000 a couple years ago, and I rented it out for $1,800 at the time. And since then, I've done renovations to it, and I actually bumped the rent up, so now it rents for $2,300. Wow. And what would it rent if you just rented the house, not the rooms? Probably closer to $1,600. Huge difference. How much more work is it from a management side? It's really not that much more work. And the way that I market it is I calculate how much per bedroom it would be, and then I give a slight discount. So these tenants are at 2300 The last tenants were at 2100 But with the last tenants, I'd marketed it at 2300 But they all came together. So it was four tenants. And I said, hey, if you all sign a lease right now, then I'll give it to you for $100 off. So between that and then they signed a two-year lease, I ended up giving it to them for 2100 But that's still a huge difference from the 1600 it would rent for otherwise. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? My firm actually hosts monthly get-togethers, and we always do it at a local restaurant or coffee shop. And I like to just support other local businesses with my marketing dollars because we're all in it together. Amen to that. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? The best way would be Instagram. My Instagram handle is just Tiffany.Alexi. Thank you so much for being on the show. What a fun show where I learned a lot and there's a lot of helpful information for people who are doing the house hacking and the type of financing to get people who are doing commercial properties and a case study for the office that you have lessons on a fix and flip. I mean, you really covered a lot of asset classes today. (laughs) I think this this show's got a little something for everyone. So thank you for that. So again, enjoyed our conversation and I hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for having me.